Good morning. Let's find our place and stand together as we worship the Lord through songs starting out this year, emphasizing this truth to God be the glory. Let's sing this out together. To God be the glory, great things he hath done, so loved he the world that he gave us his Son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin. Baptist Church of Wixom. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. Today we will enjoy a church-wide lunch after the AM worship gathering and a brief community group meetings here in the building. Everyone is invited to stay for lunch. If you are not yet connected with a PM community group, this afternoon format is a great way for you to meet new groups and get your family involved. Everything will be done around 1.30. There will be a lunch in the cafe after the AM gathering on January 14th for everyone who is new to FBC. If you are new to FBC and have never been to a New Here lunch, please plan to join us for this event. The first session of the E3 Starting Points class will be 9.45 on January 28th in room 402. The Starting Points class is designed to engage attenders in church life by answering five key questions all about FBC. If you have never attended the Starting Points class, you are encouraged to attend starting on January 28th. In just a few minutes, we will be dismissing children four years to the third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. This is your first time at FBC. We would love to connect with you. If you would like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's word this morning. (laughs) 
Thank you for joining us this morning, braving the snow as it comes down, although I, for one, am happy to finally have some snow this winter. I wanted to talk through what's going to happen after the message today because it's a little different, but I encourage everyone to participate and everybody to stick around and enjoy and get connected in community groups and in our meal. Jeremy just told us that the meal is actually happening before lunch, so it's going to be backwards of how we've done it the last few times. In fact, after the message today, we are going to dismiss immediately to community groups. There's specifically six locations around the building that community groups will gather in. There will be signs as you exit, and I'll be standing back there to help direct you But just so those of you who regularly attend have a mental picture of where you're going, the Livonia group will gather all the way at the end of the new hallway in 405. Nick Lovegrove's group will gather in 404. Eric Jacobs' group will be in 403. Pastor Brad's group in 402. Jeremy and Mark Clark's group will gather in the link. And Johnny's will gather in the music room, which is back here by the school offices. Now, if you're not a part of a community group, today, as Jeremy said, is really the day to try it out and connect. We really think that community group is a really important part of the spiritual development of people in this church. And really, it's one of the three pillars, along with our morning gatherings here together right now and discipleship. We really think it's important to be part of a small Christian community that can mutually disciple one another and can dig deeper into Scripture. Because that's what community group is really all about. Today we'll have a really tangible way to experience that. Pastor will preach, will pay attention, will dig into the Word, and you'll immediately have an opportunity by going to these community group gatherings to continue to explore that same passage of Scripture and dig deeper into it. That's really the central core thing that we do in community group, but it also, while we do that, connects us to one another. And as the New Testament says many times, we are a community of faith. We are not to avoid coming together, but we are to spend time as Christians with one another. That's the purpose of community groups. So if you've never been to a community group, today is the day. I encourage you to join one of the six groups. The six groups are generally organized by location. There's three Wixom groups, and there's a Milford group, a Brighton Howell group, and a Livonia group. You're welcome to join one that matches where you are geographically. But even better, if you have a friend who already goes to a community group, or if you have a friend sitting right next to you who goes to community group, go with them. Because that's what it's about. It's in the name. It's community. And by the way, those of you who already go to community group, grab your friends today. Bring them with you to wherever you are going. Once all of that is done, and it will end at about 1230, we have a lunch in the gymnasium for everybody. We hope everybody will come together and enjoy that lunch after community group this morning. With all that said, let's go ahead and pray to open our gathering together this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to learn through Scripture. Thank you for the opportunity to disciple one another in acting and imitating Jesus Christ. Lord, help us today as we consider the passage that Pastor has for us. Help us to imitate Jesus and how he dealt with temptation and how he handled the situations that he found himself in. Help us this week to emulate Jesus, to be more like him. Lord, we ask all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10.13 reminds us of a great truth that as we are trying to handle and battle temptation, it reminds us there is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. As we think through the theme today, dealing with Matthew chapter 4, Luke 4, and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, we're reminded that God is faithful and is there for us and wants our spiritual success as we battle against temptation. Let's stand together as we sing about those truths. He is there for us and he will keep us. I need. 
Before we get that, I want you to think through this truth today. If you're like me, you sing through songs like He Will Keep You, and you're so thankful for the promises of God to sustain you through your journey, right? To help keep you away from sin and temptation. But if you're like me, you know you've made some bonehead choices. We, we've struggled with sin and temptation, and we've given in so often. And yet the graciousness and the mercy of God continuously flows out. To such undeserving people. In so much, like this next song sings out, just as I am, I can still come before a holy and a righteous God because of what Christ has done. Let's sing this out together. Just as I am with Free. 
of Hebrews talks about, one of the, the main themes of the book of Hebrews is that Christ is better um, looking at the, the Old Testament figures and then comparing it to Christ, how their, their situations, how they handled them um, in every, every respect, Christ is better. Uh, and really just looking at the life of Christ, how the entire Old Testament is, is about him, really the entire Bible is, is pointing to Christ. Christ the true and better Adam, Son of God and Son of Man, who intended in the garden, never yielded, never sinned. He who makes the many righteous brings us back to life again, dying. Christ the true and better Isaac, humble son of sacrifice, who would climb the fearful mountain, there to offer up his life, laid with faith upon the altar, Father's joy and only Son, their salvation was
He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another small village, where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held political office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city or traveled except in his infancy more than 200 miles from his birthplace. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness and he had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. Another betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies to endure the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he owned on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure in the history of the human race. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the lives of men and women upon the earth as much as this one solitary life. the life of Jesus, our Savior, that we're studying in 2024. I'm so glad that you're here today. I invite you to take your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, if you would, this morning. Mark chapter number 1. We're chronologically following the life and ministry of Jesus, and for the last three weeks, we've laid a little bit of groundwork. Three weeks ago, we talked about John the Baptist and our commitment as a church to follow Jesus like John followed Jesus, with this attitude that he must increase and I must decrease. Then we consider the attitude of Mary. We want to follow Jesus like Mary, his mother, did, who said, My life, God, is yours to change and to use. I will sacrifice anything to advance your purpose. And then last week, a few of the known details of Jesus' childhood. We talked about his development as in his inner man and his growth as a young man. And we considered one incident. It's very interesting that only one incident is called out in his childhood between birth and 30 years of age that Luke highlights. And that is the visit to the temple when he was 12 years of age, clearly aware that he is the son of God and on mission. They're going as a family to celebrate the Passover, and he knows at this time that he is the Passover lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And yet he, he is so focused on the mission of the father, yet he's willing to submit to his step parents, Mary and Joseph. Last week, I said something I'd like to clarify. I said during the message last week that you might think that you can break the law to share your faith. And you can't. I want to just clarify that. We were talking about Jesus actually striking the balance between obeying the Father's mission and obeying the Father's law, honoring and obeying his parents. What I meant to say is that you never need to break God's law 
to obey him in another area. Somebody once said it this way, it's never right to do wrong in order to do right. Never right to do wrong in order to do right. Jesus found that balance perfectly. The sad reality is that we may have to break man's law to obey God someday. That may be necessary, but we never have to uh, break God's law to obey him. There's never a conflict there for us. Today we see Jesus emerging from obscurity as an adult and preparing for public ministry. And the message today is actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's a new map, if you didn't see, on the table in the back that helps us with this, about the early ministry of Jesus. We're going to be actually focusing on his baptism as well as his temptation in the Judean wilderness. I want to give you a little background, and this is why I had you turn to Mark chapter 1. Bear with me for a minute as we read some scripture together. I don't have it on the screens, so if you'll just follow along with me. This is sort of a stitch together from Mark, Matthew, and Luke with all of the details regarding the baptism, which is immediately preceding the temptation, which is where we want to focus our attention today. This is Mark chapter 1, verse number 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins And he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, There comes one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And then Mark gives a very short rendition of the baptism. And so I want to turn to Matthew chapter 3 for a little more detail. Matthew chapter 3, these do not conflict, but each of the writers, because they have different emphasis They give us a few more details. This is Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. John's baptizing, and then in verse number 13, Then comes Jesus from Galilee up north to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. He baptized him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I want to pause it for just a second. This is really significant Because remember, we just considered Jesus in the temple as a 12-year-old boy. And remember when his mother, Mary, said to him, what are you doing? He said, don't you know, I must be about whose business? My father. Jesus knew at age 12, God is my father. He and I have a special relationship. I am on mission as his son. And at the baptism, God confirms this. The father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Luke chapter 3, verse number 23, gives us a brief detail. You don't need to turn there if you don't want, but it says this, that Jesus began to be about 30 years of age at this time. This is the very moment when Luke brings this detail that Jesus is about 30. And then back in Mark chapter 1, and immediately the Spirit driveth him, Jesus, into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, And the angels ministered unto him. This morning I want to preach to you a message I've entitled Handling Temptation. You're probably very familiar with both Matthew's account in chapter 4 and Luke's account in chapter 4. But this is such a significant part of Jesus' life. This is such a significant part of the Gospels because remember, the whole purpose of God sending Jesus to put on human flesh, Jesus has existed from eternity past, and yet he puts on human flesh on that first Christmas morning and comes as a baby to deal with what problem? Starts with an S. The sin problem. God has sent Jesus to deal with the sin problem. And here is his first recorded encounter with Satan. 
Of course, Jesus, to this point, has resisted temptation all his life. He's 30 years of age. He's still sinless, and he will continue to be sinless all the way through the cross, all the way through his ascension. But this is really a monumental task that our Savior will pass with flying colors. He's not a victim in any way. He is the victor, but he must defeat temptation. Not only to stay qualified to be our Savior, but to prove that he can master the sin problem for us. So today we're talking about temptation. And this word, this Greek word, pyrazo, is actually a generic neutral word that just means testing or to test. It's negative or positive depending on the intent of the one giving the test. For instance, a teacher in school, when he or she gives a test to a student, it's positive, right? They're hoping for success. I hope my student does well. But a boxer might test the weakness of his opponent hoping for failure. That's negative. It depends on the intent of the tester. So in the Bible, in the New Testament, we read this word and it means two different things. And you have to be careful depending on the context I'm going to show you a passage of scripture today that really helps us understand this in James chapter 1. But I want to explain that there's two types of testing. This is really important to how Jesus handles this. The first type of testing or temptation is when God allows our faith to be tested. God allows our faith to be tested. This is what James 1 verse 2 is talking about when it says, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers or various temptations, testing this, testing, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience or builds strength so that you might be perfect and entire wanting nothing. This is the idea of like a human father whose child is trying to do something hard and rather than rescue the child says, keep going, you're going to learn to do this. You'll be better, stronger, smarter if you work through this problem on your own. A loving father will do that for his, his children and our father, heavenly father, will test our faith in this way. The second type of temptation is when outside influences test our internal lust. Outside influences test our internal lust. God never tempts us to sin. This kind of temptation comes from within us. James 1 verse 13, Let no man say when he is tested, tempted, I am tempted of God. Okay, we are watching the context because he just said that God tests us, but now he says God does not test us with evil. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Outside influences are arousing the internal desires, the internal lust. Now, here's what I want you to see in our passage today that Jesus is being tempted to sin. This is a faith test, so to speak, because God has led him there. The Holy Spirit has led him there. But this temptation is to evil. This is from Satan. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus does not have, like you and I have, within him any lust. He does not have any sinful tendency. Satan can bring every temptation he wants to Jesus, and because Jesus cannot have his lust aroused by Satan, he cannot sin. In fact, there's an interesting verse, John 14, verse 30. If you're a Bible student, you want to go back and look at this later. This is a great cross-reference where Jesus says this, The prince of this world, speaking of Satan, cometh, and he has nothing in me. He's got nothing. He can't stake any claim in me. Satan has no right inside me. Like he does, Jesus implies, in you. He has nothing in me. So if Jesus can't sin, then why go through this? Why explain this in three of the four Gospels? Well, I think it's because we need it. For two reasons. One, we need to adore our Savior. That's why we gathered today to lift up Jesus and say, isn't he awesome? Adore our Savior. But secondly, for an example to us to help us deal with temptation. How does the master handle outside influences that are intended to arouse internal lust? 
How does the master handle outside influences intended to arise or arouse internal lust? So we find Jesus in the Judean wilderness, west of Jordan, around the Dead Sea, toward Jerusalem. This was referred to in Jesus' day as the devastation. Isn't that a great name for a place? That's what it looks like too, right? This is the devastation. It's sort of like we call this spot in South Dakota the Badlands, right? There's just nothing there except the devastation is more dry, it's more desolate, it's more dangerous. In fact, you might know historically that the Dead Sea Scrolls were hidden in this region for 2,000 years. And nobody found them because nobody goes there, right? They just sat there. Nobody goes there. Not even today. Very few people will go to this region. And Jesus spends nearly six weeks in this awful place being tempted. And we get a glimpse of his conversation at the very end of the 40 days. There's some great theological connections to the wilderness wandering of the Israelites for 40 years that we'll talk about briefly today. But for personal study, that's also a great cross-reference to this account. We get to see the last three temptations, and this is where we want to spend our time today in Luke chapter 4. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in for some quick study of this incredible account. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the salvation we have in him. Thank you for the perfect life and for the sinlessness and the fact that we have now a high priest who has been afflicted with every temptation that we have and yet was without sin. We worship Jesus for his purity and his holiness today and we ask that you'd help us to follow his example as we seek to be more like him. Help us to learn from your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone once said there's four types of people in this world, and they illustrated those four types of people by a whistle. There are some people who ask, what are the rules, and when will the whistle blow? I need to know. Some people say, whistles are fun. Can we all have one? Right? That's a different kind of personality. Some people say, why does there have to be a whistle? Right? Can't we just play? And then there's people who think, Who has the whistle, and what do I have to do to get the whistle, right? You know people like this. They have to have the remote. Huh? I saw somebody go like this to their spouse. They have to be the one driving. They rearrange the dishwasher after you put stuff in it. (laughs) It's okay if you're like this. It's okay. Being in control is actually a good thing. It's actually a sign of independence. Independence shows maturity. We cheer our kids on when they do things that are independent. Look, you walked on your own. Look, you tied your shoes on your own. You rode your bike on your own. These things make us feel strong and help us as we grow up. The problem is they're commendable physically, socially, and mentally, but not spiritually. Independence spiritually is dangerous. And there are some things in my life that I know I can't be independent on. I just know it. Like, for instance, I want to go to heaven when I die. I can't do anything about that. That's got to be God through Jesus. I'm just going to put my faith in him. I can be pretty dependent on him for that. But there's a lot of things in life that I try to be pretty independent In the moment when a decision is before me and I don't want to lean on God and lean on his word, I want to lean on my own understanding. So this is really what makes this example for us so profound because Jesus is God, 100% God. And yet he has willingly given up the independent exercise of his deity. He's willingly given it up. He said, I will submit myself to whatever the father wants. I'm going to do his work in the temple at age 12. I'm going to submit myself to whatever the Holy Spirit wants. If he wants to lead me into the wilderness, great. If he wants to send me angels, great. Whatever. I'm going to yield up my independence. And so the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Significantly, the Spirit leads him back out of the wilderness. Jesus here, led by the Spirit in this entire thing, and yet he's in a really tough spot. And this is why this example helps us so much, because he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. 
So if you're familiar with this, you know that Matthew 4 and Luke 4 are almost identical, except Luke changes the order of the last two temptations, perhaps because he's trying to teach us something else or emphasize something a little bit different. Today, I've chosen to spend our time in Luke chapter 4. Let me give you some things that Jesus demonstrates for us as we learn to handle temptation. Number one, we have to learn to handle the temptation to live selfishly, doubting God's provision. Now, before we get into this first temptation, I just want to remind you, these temptations are unique to Jesus But the principle applies to us, okay? So the temptation for you will not be to turn stones into bread, but the temptation to live selfishly is certainly there, right? We have that one. And so in general, we can apply these and learn from how Jesus handled them. Luke chapter 4, verse number 1, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. By the way, just a quick stop for there for a second. He's full of the Holy Ghost. If you read Ephesians chapter 5 or Galatians chapter 5, you know this to be true, that Paul clearly says you have two choices. You can either live in the flesh or live in the spirit. You can either sin or follow Jesus. One of the two. And you have a daily choice. And Jesus here says, I want to live in the spirit. Now, he's Jesus. He's God. But it's significant that it says he's full of the Holy Ghost. No wonder he is successful over sin. Verse 2, being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said to him, if, or more accurately, since thou art the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Have you ever been super hungry? I mean, like really, really hungry where everything looks delicious. You know, don't go shopping for groceries if you're feeling this way. If you're really, really hungry, you know that it fatigues you. It weakens you. And this is Jesus in this situation. The temptation seems pretty benign, really, like turn the stone into bread. It's not immoral to be hungry. It's not immoral to eat. It's certainly within Jesus' power and authority. He created it all in the first place. He later creates wine and fish and bread. So what's the temptation? Well, it's kind of subtle. Because what Satan is really saying is this, hey, Jesus, you're dependent on the Father, right? You gave up your independent deity didn't you why has he left you hungry what's the deal will he really provide for you same temptation really that satan brought to eve is god telling you the truth does he have your best interest in mind are you absolutely certain of that doesn't god want you to be happy i mean wicked people are eating jesus you should be able to eat make a little bit of bread you deserve better This reflects a surprising tendency in our own hearts because we often think this, I deserve better, I deserve more. And it doesn't matter what context you put it in. Maybe for you it's food or maybe it's your marriage or your children or your job or your ministry or your church. Like I deserve better. This gets to the heart of, of the temptation. The temptation is to put faith in ourselves rather than in our God and trust his provision. God had led him there. God knew he was hungry. And Satan knew this. And he was playing the son against the father. Jesus, if you're the son of God, why are you starving? Why did the spirit lead you here? Does he even know you're here? Does he even care? It's sort of like us. Sometimes after church, a little kid will be wandering around the auditorium with no apparent adult supervision and they'll get teased. Now Somebody will say, oh, I think your mom and dad forgot you. Right. Teasing, hoping that maybe they're here somewhere. Right. But that's exactly what Satan was saying to Jesus. I think your father forgot you. Like he lost you out here in the devastation. He doesn't know where you're at. He's going to let you starve to death. Notice what Jesus says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. In essence, Jesus says, look, I trust God. It's not about my needs, not about what I want. 
Jesus was probably playing off of the wilderness wandering. As I mentioned earlier, he was here for 40 days. They were there for 40 years. Can I just remind you of something about the children of Israel that died in the 40-year wandering? Not a single one of them died of starvation, right? They all had manna every single day. What did they die from? Disobedience. (laughs) <laughs> That's why they died. They were supposed to go in at Kadesh Barnea when, when they sent the spies in and Joshua and Caleb came back and said, hey, it's an incredible land. They were supposed to go in and yet the children of Israel doubted God's word. God said, I'm going to give it to you. They doubted his word and it killed them. They had bread. They didn't have obedience. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. Hey, Satan. I don't need bread. I need to do what the Father says. If I do what the Father says, he'll supply bread. I'm not worried about that at all. It's actually significant because we think a couple years later when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount and he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Food and raiment, the things that everybody else is worried about, don't worry about it. You can trust God's word over your physical appetites. Secondly, the temptation to live impatiently, questioning God's plan. Verse number five, and the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this power will I give thee in the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomever I will give it. He was pretty high on himself here. Verse seven, if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, get thee, get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Again, this temptation is different than the one you will face, but you will certainly face the temptation to live impatiently. Here's what he says, Jesus, look, you're 30 years of age. You got nothing, nothing to show for yourself. I can give it all to you right now. You've been waiting long enough. Who wants to go through the next three years? Who wants to go through the hatred and the whipping and the rejection and the crucifixion? I can give you the world right now. But Jesus says, I will only worship the Father. Someday, Satan, I will have these things. In fact, the angel said to Mary that he will reign forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus says, look, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to reign over it all in the Father's timing. Now is not the time. I've got some work to do. This is why, by the way, as we follow Jesus through the Gospels, time after time, he'll do something that people thought was awesome. And he says, hey, let's not make a big deal about that. Right. Let, don't tell people. He doesn't want to be elevated to a false messiahship. He knows he needs to go to the cross to deal with the sin problem proverbs 3 5 and 6 tells us trust in the lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding it's so easy for us to say hey here's the plan i've got for my life lord come along with me and bless my plan and the lord's plan is totally different we're tempted sometimes to trust our own shortcuts over god's schedule and then number three the temptation to live proudly presuming god's protection Verse number nine, and he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee and in their hand they shall bear thee up. Lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all his temptation, he departed from him for a season. He would be back, but he was done at this moment. What it looked like for Jesus? Well, Satan took him to this pinnacle 450 feet above the Kidron Valley floor. And he says, toss yourself off, Jesus. Psalm 91, if you remember, Jesus says that he will give his angels charge over you. You don't have to worry about it. You think you believe the word of God? You want to live the word of God? Let me quote to you the word of God. Jump off. People will be really impressed. This will post super well. I mean, you talk about something sensational on social media. I mean, you want to get a crowd? This one, this will work. You'll be famous instantly, a celebrity overnight. Do something amazing. And Jesus says, don't tempt, don't test the Lord your God. It's significant. When we studied 
Psalm 91, we talked about this. It's easy sometimes to take a little phrase and say, that's the, the promise I'm claiming. God, you said this is true, and so I'm going to do it. And I told you at that time, that doesn't mean that you can throw yourself off a cliff and claim that promise, right? You can't demand presumptively on what the psalm says, but you can pray for it submissively. This is what Jesus says. If the Lord wants me to be protected, he'll protect me, but I'm not throwing myself off the temple. How will I be lifted up as an amazing savior for all the world to see? I'll be lifted up on a cross. John 12, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. Jesus trusted that plan over any potential move of pride. So think about this for just a second. Think about how ironic all of these temptations are. Jesus has absolute right to eat as the creator. And he has no food. Jesus has absolute right to rule as king of kings. And he has no kingdom. Jesus has absolute right to divine care and divine protection as the son of God. And yet he's exposed to the severest of dangers. He trusts God's word, God's timing, and God's plan. When I was a kid, I had a friend, an adult friend that had a dog. And this dog was the most well-trained dog I ever saw as a kid. It impressed me. It stuck with me. This dog loved tennis balls like most, most dogs do. And this guy, his, the dog's name was Buck, and he would throw the tennis ball and he'd say, No, Buck. And Buck would just sit there and wait. And then he'd say, go get it. And Buck would go get the tennis ball. And he would do a whole bunch of other impressive things. But that's the one that stuck with me. But here's the interesting thing about a dog that is trained this well. When he threw the ball, Buck would watch the ball. And then you know what he'd watch? The master. Right? Immediately, his eyes were right on the master. Not on the ball at all, just on the master. Locked in. Essentially saying, I'll go when you say I can go. I trust you. Your timing is right. I know it's safe when you say, go get it, Buck. And this is really where we ought to be as believers, looking to God. This is where the children of Israel should have been in the wilderness. When they were in Kadesh Barnea and God said, I'm about to send you in. They should have been looking at God saying, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm cheating. I'm ready to go. But that's not what they were doing. They were looking at the ball and they said, I look scary. I'm not doing that. Rather than looking at the master, Jesus shows such a great example of just focusing on the Father. We're often tempted to live selfishly. Let me give you just a couple of practical things really quick. Where, do you, where are you tempted to live selfishly? Got some temptation? Let me give you a couple ideas. <laughs> Is it substance abuse? Can I tell you that God has a better way? Is it pornography? God has a better way. Is it laziness? Is it gluttony? God has a better way. How are you tempted to live impatiently? Are you impatient with his will? His timing's better. Are you impatient with God's plan for purity? His timing is better. Are you impatient with your circumstances or your illness? His timing is right on the money. Maybe you're tempted to live proudly. Do you have an unhealthy appetite for money? God's plan is better. How about for your work or your children? God's plan is better. Are you constantly motivated by what other people think? What, God's, what God thinks is what matters. Let me just real quickly, we're out of time, but what should we do? How can we learn from Jesus' temptation Let me give you three things. Number one, watch out for spiritual victory. The Father had just commended Jesus. The Spirit had come down like a dove. This was an amazing moment. And yet, he's about to be tested. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, Let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Some of you have recently taken steps of faith. There are many people in our church that have recently taken steps of faith and say, Man, I'm I'm growing spiritually now more than ever. This is awesome. Be careful. Be be ready. Temptation's coming. Number two, lean heavily on the word Jesus did. In order to do that, you've got to know it. You have to memorize it and determine to obey it. David said in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And then lastly, can I just encourage you? Go to Jesus when you're tempted. Go to Jesus. 
Hebrews chapter 4 says he was tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace and get mercy and help in time of need. The, the author of Hebrews is literally saying this. Whatever temptation you're facing, when you face it, go to Jesus for help. He's there. He's waiting for you. He's advocating for you. He wants to help you. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ at all. You're not a Christian. You're not following Jesus as a believer. Can I just remind you of what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says? That God made Jesus to be sin for you. Even though he knew no sin, he was perfectly holy. That you might be made the righteousness of God in him. We needed a Savior who knew no sin. Who was 100% holy, 100% perfect, 100% pure. And Jesus, here in Luke chapter 4, demonstrates that. This morning, would you worship him with me as we conclude our service as our sinless Savior? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Please help us to apply it to our lives today as you want it applied. May you be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God brought out his people with a strong and mighty hand, took them out of slavery to behold the promised land. Mountains fled before them, and the seas turned back and ran, and they saw that he was good. God is faithful to his promise. He is with us. He is with us. God is faithful. God is faithful to his
the most important thing our church can communicate with you is the gospel message. The word gospel means good news. The trouble with most good news is that it isn't really good until you see it relative to bad news. The discovery of a new cure isn't all that helpful unless you or a loved one has the disease that it cures. In the same way, the good news of Jesus is good when it is understood in relation to the bad news of our own sin. We are all sinners. That's the disease we are all born with. And Jesus is the cure. The good news that everyone can live forever with God in heaven, not because of anything we can do, but because of what Jesus did in our place. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The truth that everyone, everywhere, at all times in history needs to hear is that salvation is only possible by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Would you be willing to pray something like this and mean what you pray from your heart? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can do nothing to earn forgiveness and make myself right with you. Instead of dying for my own sins, I want to trust Christ and his death on the cross as payment for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my way and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. The Bible tells us that those that repent from their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in this way shall be saved. Would you believe on him today? And if you did trust Christ today, if you did pray a prayer like the one suggested a moment ago and you really meant it, would you let us know? We want to help you grow in your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have more questions about putting your faith in Christ and we have great resources to help you with that. The Exchange Bible Study is a four-week study on the character of God that will answer most of your questions about the gospel. We have men and women ready and waiting to go through that with you in person or virtually, depending on your situation. Maybe you put your faith in Christ today, or, or maybe you did years ago, but you feel like you've not grown in your faith. We want to help you with that as well. We have literally hundreds of helpful resources and dozens of believers ready to walk with you through them. Let us know how we can best encourage your journey of faith in Christ using one of the contact methods listed below. Jesus Christ loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. May God bless you as you seek to live your life for his honor and for his glory.